Greetings to my listeners all around the world. Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing's podcast number 114 on May 4th of 2023. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. The purpose of my podcasts, my books, and my other social media responses is to assure you that you are more than capable of managing your own investments. You do not need an investment industry parasite that will gnaw away at your savings for the rest of your life. You just need to be shown how easy it is to find and acquire the shares of the best financially strong companies. Those companies who have had ever rising, high, safe dividend payouts and share prices for many years. While it is neither difficult nor time-consuming to manage your own portfolio, it does require patience and common sense. My logical approach to investing is as far from get-rich-quick, risky, speculative investing as you can get. Over time, you will see your portfolio grow by several multiples. Financial independence as a self-directed investor can be achieved. In today's podcast, I'll be answering eight questions received in the last week. Question number one. Can an individual investor compete with a hedge fund? Of course an individual can compete with a hedge fund in the stock exchange. I think what you are really asking is can some individuals generate more income and build a stronger portfolio than a hedge fund? There are thousands of hedge funds and millions of self-directed investors. Just because your money is in a hedge fund does not mean that you will not lose much of the money you have invested. Unlike a self-directed portfolio made up of carefully chosen stocks where you know exactly what is in the portfolio and why it was chosen, with a fund there has to be an air of mystery as to how the fund will make money You are seduced into giving your money to someone who is promoted as having the magic touch that will make you rich, rich, rich overnight. You will only have a vague idea of what they do with your money once you have handed it over. The following is out of my second investment book that I issued in 2020. The heading was Hedge Funds. Before... Bernie Madoff was sentenced to 100 years in prison and destroyed his family. Madoff operated a hedge fund, which was eventually found to be an elaborate multi-billion dollar Ponzi fraud. He got away with it because hedge funds are largely unregulated and will invest in anything where they think they can realize the gain. Wealthy investors blindly entrusted their money to him. 
Hedge funds are designed as an investment for high-income individuals. To join, you must have a minimum annual income of $200,000 and be able to invest a minimum of a million dollars. A sales commission of 2% or $20,000 is immediately paid as an entry fee. Many famous wealthy investors invested with Madoff and lost millions. There are no guarantees of capital gain. If there is a gain, the fund gets 20% of it. A few big winners in a hedge fund draw in the speculators, the foolish and the greedy. In the 2008 market crash, Bernie's fraud was discovered. He was soon sentenced to prison for 150 years. He died there in 2021. It is estimated that investors lost over $18 billion. The typical investor is not in the same league as Bernie Madoff. They don't have the skill to steal billions of dollars. It is not difficult for an average individual as a self-directed investor to learn how to select financially strong stocks who have had ever-increasing dividend payouts for decades, along with ever-increasing share prices. Realizing a 6% dividend income plus an average 12% annual increase in the portfolio's value is easily achievable. Over 5 to 10 years, such a portfolio can double, even triple in value. Such dividends are paid steadily, even through market crashes. Once a portfolio of 20 stocks is chosen, years can go by without having to make any changes to it. If you eventually become financially independent from such a portfolio, would you consider that you had competed successfully with hedge funds? Question number two. How does Warren Buffett know if he's picked good stocks for Berkshire Hathaway? Warren Buffett does not always pick good stocks for Berkshire Hathaway. On March 3rd of 2023, I scored and analyzed what were reported to be the 51 stocks that were in the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. There were several that can certainly not be judged as being financially strong, good stocks. Perhaps in time, these less than good may prove to be good stocks if they don't get weeded out. Most of the 51 stocks are financially strong with the following three being among the strongest. U.S. Bank Corps, Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, and Chevron. However, the following three by no means can be described as strong. New Holdings Limited, stock symbol NU. Liberty Media Group Series C, stock symbol LSXMK, and 
Snowflake Inc. Stock symbol SNOW. While Berkshire may have hundreds of millions invested in these three questionable companies, it is still a small fraction of the billions he has invested in the total portfolio. He can afford to take a flyer on a company that he can be convinced just might show some potential. This is the strength of a diversified portfolio with 109 billion in cash that needs to be invested to make money. Berkshire's struggle is just keeping ahead of the river of dividend income pouring in every month. Supposedly, there are 16,000 companies in North America that you can buy shares in. Is it not interesting that Buffett is able to narrow those he wants down to 51? Why do some mutual funds think they need to invest in hundreds of companies to make money? If there were hundreds of companies strong enough for Berkshire Hathaway, you would find it to be a much larger portfolio. There just are not that many good companies out there. Question number three. How can I create a successful investment strategy for my retirement? Every month, you could buy a financially strong stock paying a high dividend. In a year, you'll have 12 stocks. In two years, 24. At that point, start putting your money into those existing 24. The 24 gives you enough safe diversification. It is important that you choose the 24 stocks you will invest in before you begin investing. Pre-score the 24 stocks so you can sort them from the most to the least desirable. Buy the best one first. History is important in picking your stocks. You want to look at the last 24 years of share prices and dividend payouts. Ideally, you want to only have in your portfolio stocks that have had continuous share price increases and continuous dividend payouts. You should expect to see dividend payouts rising much faster than share prices. Use a stock selector to narrow your search down to only stocks that are now paying a dividend yield of 4% or greater, with an operating margin greater than 20% and a price-to-earnings ratio less than 20. To make this search easy, you can use the stock scoring software that comes with my investment books. The books contains hundreds of pre-scored stocks with historical share price and dividend payouts. What can happen if you carefully choose the best 24 stocks? You should be able to realize a portfolio dividend income return averaging about 6% a year. Plus, you should see share prices for the total portfolio increasing by about 
12% each year. Reinvesting those dividends should result in the portfolio doubling in less than five years and even faster as time goes by as you keep investing your dividend income. If you're doing this investing in a tax-free account, depending on how much you invest and when you start, you could be financially independent within 20 years. If you retire or decide not to work, you should be able to live off the dividend income alone, which will keep rising as these companies continue to increase their dividend payouts. It is important to do your investing as a self-directed investor because fees from a financial advisor will eat up too much of your dividend income and you will lose control of what your money is invested in. Question number four. Why don't stock prices follow industry trends? Why should stock prices follow industry trends? Speculators buy stocks because they believe that the share price of a company is going to rise and make them rich. They buy these stocks from other speculators who fear this company's share price is going to decline and make them poorer. They both cannot be right. They both are looking at the same information on the stock. It is all a matter of individual interpretation, circumstance, and emotion. Whatever trends are taking place in an industry are just one of several factors. Not every company in an industry is impacted by industry trends in the same way. Each company makes their own marketing decisions to compete with other companies. They increase and lower prices, make changes to products, and cut expenses. If they make the right changes, they become more profitable. The other companies who do not make changes can quickly become less competitive and less profitable, even though they may be in the same industry. It is only in hindsight that the changes are seen. Capitalism is in constant flux. Trying to predict future share prices accurately is not possible. Interestingly, what you can predict with greater accuracy are company dividends, which are not directly related to stock prices. They are the result of logical decisions made by the management of a company. It is not by chance that a company can keep raising dividend payouts annually for decades. This can happen even through market crashes when almost all share prices tumble. Question number five. Why do value stocks have a higher debt-to-equity ratio? Many value stocks do not have a high debt-to-equity ratio. Many value stocks with high operating margins have little need to have significant debt 
they are able to finance their growth and operations from their profits. Question number six. What are some things to consider when buying stocks other than current prices or price-to-earnings ratios? I write books on investing. They list stocks that I have researched and analyzed. My analysis includes calculating a score that allows all the stocks to be sorted from the most desirable to the least desirable. Price-to-earning ratios are included in the 11 sub-calculations that make up the grand score. The factors in the score do include current price, the stock's book value, analyst buy recommendations, volume of shares traded daily, and the stock's operating margin. I also check the last 24 years of share prices and dividend payouts for the consistency and constant profitable growth. Finally, I do a Google search where I enter the stock's name followed by the words complaints and legals. I do not like negative surprises. Sometimes I am shocked by what this simple search turns up. 20 stocks chosen this way should provide a reliable dividend income and show significant capital gain year after year. I have lived very well off my dividend income for the last 20 years while I watched my portfolio grow by several multiples. I rarely need to make a change to the stocks in my portfolio. Is this stock selection procedure one that all investment advisors follow? No, it isn't. Most investment advisors follow the lazy path of selling mutual funds and other funds. They sell whatever the marketing propaganda that the fund company provides them with. They really are not interested in looking closely at the fund or having their clientele look too closely at what they offer. The investment advisor guarantees nothing. It isn't their money that it is at risk, and they have been trained in how to handle complaints about results. If you should ever read the typical prospectus for a fund, you quickly realize that few investors have any idea what they are putting their hard-earned money into. Some funds have hundreds of stocks in them. There are not 100 stocks that are worth including in any portfolio. The typical investor buys the sizzle that they are going to get rich from this hot, popular stock without having any understanding of its value or its history. Question number seven. How can an investor determine if a company's stock is overpriced or underpriced? A stock is only worth what a buyer is willing to bid for it on a stock exchange. It has nothing to do with accuracy, overpricing, or underpricing. 
Stocks can have book values that are calculated by accountants, but whether the book value is higher or lower than the current price becomes mostly irrelevant. Stocks can also have price-to-earnings ratios, which also have little relevancy to the current share price. Supposedly, high price-to-earning ratios indicate to some that a company is overpriced and ready for a price drop, but to others it indicates the rising popularity of the stock and is attractive to them. I write books on investing. They list stocks that I have researched and analyzed. My analysis includes calculating a score that allows all the stocks to be sorted from most to least desirable. I also check the last 24 years of share prices and dividend payouts to check their consistency and constant profitable growth, even during the inevitable market crashes. Finally, I do a Google search where I enter the stock's name followed by the words complaints and legals to see what turns up. 20 stocks carefully chosen this way will provide a reliable dividend income and show significant capital gain year after year. The sheer price of a stock is almost irrelevant to me. I am buying dividend income to live on when I buy a stock. Even during market crashes, when all stock prices may drop 20% to 50%, financially strong stocks continue to pay out their high dividends. The information to prove this is easily accessible. Question number eight. Why would a person invest in the stock market instead of real estate? You can have your cake and eat it too. You can buy real estate investment trust shares on the stock market that will give you a monthly, steady, reliable high income without the hassles of taxes, maintenance, insurance, tenants, and so on that you encounter when you own an actual product directly. Dividend income is taxed more lightly than other income. While some REIT shares show very good capital gain, many REITs show little capital gain in conjunction with their high dividend yields. Thus, investing all your savings in any one sector is never wise if you're searching for not only income but an ever-increasing value in your portfolio. You want a widely diversified portfolio of between 20 and 30 stocks to offset downturns that occur in one industry but not another. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. Mm-hmm.